Welcome to the Raising Your Game podcast. I'm Lewis Hatchett. In my own journey to professional sport, I was always interested in hearing about the insights, the stories and the ideas behind some of the best in the world. I wanted to know how I could implement those things into my own sport and life as well. So in this podcast, I'll be bringing you conversations from those in the world of sport and high performance, as well as my own experiences and expertise in performance and well-being that you can transfer into your own goals and aspirations. Whether that be in your sport or life, these conversations will give you something that I believe will help you at raising your game. In this episode, I'm speaking with James Taylor, former England cricketer and now national selector. Having played both county and international cricket, James's career was brutally and suddenly cut short when he was diagnosed with arthromogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, a rare and life-threatening heart condition that you'll hear from James nearly killed him. It meant that he had to immediately stop playing all sport and can't do anything to get his heart rate up. I was fortunate enough to have played against and with James, and it wasn't only his ability as a player, but his work ethic that was something that always stood out. So we talk about his training that left him in a mentally strong place, as he was well known for his mental resilience and mental strength. We talk about how his training was the reason he was able to build this mental resilience, the importance of being fit so that you can make good decisions, how you become aware and not make excuses, taking every opportunity that you get and how your intense training can really prepare you for international level, and how all of this leaves you feeling satisfied and content with your effort at the end of the day. So if you're someone who is looking at pursuing your goals, really looking at the mental side of your game and how you can get the most out of what you have, then really listening to James's story, his experiences, and what he believes in is an absolute must. So here we go. Without any more hesitation, I give you James Taylor. Enjoy. James Taylor, thank you for coming on to the show, mate. I'm really glad we actually managed to slot in some time and uh, it's been good catching up just for a little bit there, time there, but um, I can't wait to delve into a little bit more because it has been a long time since we've spoken last. It has been. It's, we, we just worked it out. It's near on seven years since I played a rogue one-off game against Australia for Sussex. Obviously, I played for Nottinghamshire, at the time and I got called up to that game because that was the only Red Bull game going on in the country because yeah. the Ashes were going on and the T20s I think were going yeah. on so I got sent to you guys to play a one-off game against Australia and it went all right um, yeah. and that was the last time we saw each other. Yeah I still got the picture of, I've still got the picture of well of you and I batting together because you got 100 that game and that I, I was, did. It that was, was a timely hundred. As it well. was a very timely hundred. Yeah. Um, I forgot yeah. that. I forgot that that was because it was the only game going on at the time. Mm. I forgot that that was why you you played that game. Uh, it, really, what people don't know is that I just wanted to play for Sussex. Yeah. <laughs> I was the seven hundredth person to play for Sussex. I think really something random like that. So it was a really big like number and milestone. Do you know what? It wouldn't um, be that far off because I'm it. I'm six nine six. So yeah, it probably isn't far off that because it was yeah. Yeah. We didn't have too many players playing after that. It was brilliant. Wait, that's um, so um, you're you're obviously now an England selector, and we'll get into sort of your career, and we'll talk about your your cricket career, and and obviously how it ended. But 
I want to go into just what you're doing now. You're now an English selector. So what is that role like for you? Are you enjoying it? What does it involve on a daily basis? Yeah, so now it's obviously a roller coaster from when I finished. I did a couple of years in the media and then uh, selection. Uh, I, I got involved in selection and got asked to be selector, went through the process, interview process, and finally got asked and uh, I accepted the role, obviously. And it's brilliant. It's really good. Um, I'm lucky to stay in the game and obviously it's a very important position in English cricket. So there's two selectors, well, there's three selectors. So there's two external selectors. Um, that's me and Ed Smith. Uh, and then you've got Chris Silwood, who's the head coach, who's also a selector. Um, great fun, great people to be around. Um, some very knowledgeable guys. It works really well. Uh, I think me and Ed Smith complement each other really well. Two very different people with different opinions but check and challenge each other all the time um uh, it's 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 brilliant and then you obviously got chris silverwood that's in the bubble in the environment itself uh, every day um so it works really well the communication obviously in all walks of life is very important and, and we communicate really well uh, on top of that you've got performance director who's mo boba uh and then Talent ID, head of talent ID is David Court. So there's a, there's a number of us that work and communicate every single day together. So we're on top of things. Uh, and then below us, we've got uh, scouts, a number of different scouts varying from um, guys that have played a lot of test cricket to not, not so much, a lot of ODIs to not so many ODIs, a lot of county cricket um, in both wiki keepers, batsmen, bowlers, spin bowlers, everything. So we've got a number of areas covered. Uh, amongst us and they kind of all filter into us uh, all the scout reports um, on every single game filter into us so there's a lot of communicating going on um, but that needs to be the case to get everything every base covered and this is the thing because you know at county cricket when you're a player you assume the selectors probably it might have been actually it was very different back in the day but you assume the selectors might miss something or mm. they might not pay any attention to certain counties but those are just the eyes on that we're to, that I mentioned there. But every single ball is captured on footage. So I can see yeah. when I, if I'm not at a game that day, I go home and I, I watch every single um, bit of footage that I need to watch, put it like that. And those individuals that I'm keen on uh, having a look at and keeping an eye on. Um, so we don't miss anything. It's our one job. So yeah. um, we're across it, which is really good. Well, technology must be playing like such a, an amazing part of that role as well, because you're, you're right. Like I reckon it was far more, I mean, pretty much around when I, what was your first year when you turned pro? You were 2000 and... 2007. Uh, yeah, I so reckon. I was 2010. My last year of school. And then I, I, I reckon that sort of whole, I mean, the cameras were definitely not as good anyway, but the cameras at the, at the end of the game capturing most of the, the balls, like the a analytics were starting to really pump up a little bit. Um, and now you'll be able to, you can live, there's games being live streamed at the moment. They're all live streamed today. So um, there's never going to be a chance of you missing anything. Uh, but you're probably yeah. right. You probably think there was probably an, a, a, a scout or someone who may have missed something and that could lead you yeah exactly and now there's no excuse like to miss something you mm. we we shouldn't miss something now um because if we haven't got a scout that's the other thing so we we work it it's a system so that we've always got somebody covering one game so if i'm not there or ed's not there 
we've always got a scout there. Um, and if for some reason we happen to miss it eyes on, um, we will capture it with the footage. And so often I'm at a game, let's say I'm at the Oval, I'm going to be at the Oval Sunday and Monday uh, coming up. I will, I've got my eyes on this game, but I've got two, an iPad and a laptop going with the streams. So I wow. follow everything. Um, so it's really good. Technology is, is, is a massive help. Um, and that's another part of selection. Um, all the analytics and the analysis um, guys that we're constantly in contact with. Um, so we're not missing anything um, uh, that might be important for us, reselection. So how how much majority of your stuff is actually, say, hands-on, but like actually at the venue? Uh, and you've probably, have you got a list of people that you're, you're kind of iron up at the time and then you'll just move around to, to follow them? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we've all we've always got our our individuals that we want to um, look at and keep an eye on. But the great thing is, when you're at those games, uh, seeing those individuals that you that are, let's say a top of the list, if we had a list of individuals, you're at that game looking at them. But then you see another individual, another young guy coming, or somebody that's impressed you, and that's the same with the scouts. Yeah, they're looking at individuals. They're scouting individuals, but if they see something else that catches their eye on an individual that's doing well, they like the look of, they will feed that back as well. Mm. Um, so it's not just certain individuals. Yes, we'll keep a prominent eye on those individuals that we like and potentially on the fringes of international cricket, but also there's other guys coming through um, that that will capture as well. But it, people just think about the international team, but the Lions is so important because obviously that feeds mm. in and that's a massive uh part of the process um the lions team as well so that's a that's an integral part of the whole process building into international cricket so okay that, that's your role it sounds amazing what you're doing i think like i said i think it's uh, it's, it's awesome that there's someone of your age and, and your background doing it it's, i think it's exciting for the the age group of the guys that are definitely coming through as well um but for your career like where did where did where did you get your first taste of cricket where did it start because i know your entry into county cricket was early and yet and you were young coming in but where did you first start um well i so mine's i kind of I went through the whole pathway. So uh, county age group, uh, Midlands, so regional stuff. Then the first stages of England, which is England under 15s, England under 17s, England under 19s, into first class cricket, um, played a under 19s World Cup. Um, but I, I was very lucky along the way. I had great mentors and I'm a big believer that uh, having good people around you puts you in good stead not just to develop you as a, a technical batsman or um and to improve your skills just but to to help you and guide you as an individual and and i think that is so important uh for your mental toughness to have those guys that challenge you along the way and push you in the right direction and if you get a little bit giddy and too confident as you do as a youngster to beat you back down and if you need a pep up somebody to pick you up and, and that balance is so important. And uh, to learn how to train as well is is vital. Yeah. Um, and I was very fortunate along my journey from a, a baby, um, aged eight, when I first kind of got into cricket at school, I had um, my first coach, a guy called Steve Schofield. And this is a, 
classic consistency in my career is that all my coaches along the way from my coach at aged eight at my first prep school uh, to my next coach. So that was Steve Schofield at Maidor Hall to my next coach, Paul Pridgen at Shrewsbury School to my next coach, Tim Boone at Leicestershire. Uh, the whole way through my career, I touched base with them and I always had, they were a massive influence the whole way through from the start to the finish. And I ended with three mentors and three coaches. If I ever need um, somebody to talk to, or if I ever needed a net or a hit, these were the guys that knew me best. So when I was playing international cricket, I was still going to Shrewsbury to have a net with Paul Bridge. And I was still going to my prep school and indoor school in the gym where you pull out the nets uh, roll out the mat and have a hit on the eve of playing against the world number one side, South Africa, um, because they knew me best and I got confidence through being in that environment. Um, so I, I think that's really, it's a trait of my career, having those mentors along the way that guided me and shaped me and pushed me in the right direction and taught me, one, how to learn and how to soak up information, but how to train is really important. Um and that mindset that you need and that ruthlessness that you need and the dedication that you need to succeed, that was all installed in me from these coaches um, from a very young age. Um, and I, I can't underestimate that. I know I can't say that enough. Mm. Um, obviously, um, my parents were a big part in it as well because uh, they made sure my feet were firmly on the floor all the time and they would do a 300-mile round trip um, every Sunday to drive me to Worcester Academy uh, net session, 300 mile round trip, um, which was incredible. 100 miles from home to Shrewsbury to pick me up, um, 50 miles to Worcester, it might even be more, 50 miles back, 100 miles back home every Sunday to take me to yeah. training. Uh, like that's dedication. So I was yeah. very fortunate that I that my parents were able to do that because some parents aren't. Mm. Um, and that can be make or break for some kids. Yeah. Um, the availability and the access to training facilities. Um, I was incredibly lucky um, that I had people that were able to have the time and sacrifice their time to put into me. Uh, so I know I was very lucky, um, but it's when you get those opportunities, it's so important to make the most of them. Yeah, I, it, I had Anna Mears on the podcast and she said the same thing about, um, about she, she had a massive trip. I think they would they would travel hundreds of kilometers out of her country town over here in Australia to then go and spend the weekend where she could cycle and then she could come back. And her parents would do that Friday night, right? We're going away for the weekend and Anna's going to cycle and they come back and she was right. It was make or break. But her parents said that you, you have to want to do this. Like, is this what you want to do? Because if it is, we're doing it. And I think that you're right, your parents do that, but I don't believe they would do it if they didn't believe one in you or if you didn't show that this was definitely something that you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I, I don't know at what stage uh, I thought I was going to do it as a living. I didn't, I, I imagine I didn't think anything else. I was going to play football, rugby or cricket hmm. because that's what I love to do. And that's what I was good at. Um, and that's all I knew. I, I love, I live to play sport. Um, so I was just trying to think when was the first time that I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this as a living. I don't know. It was just always going to happen in my head. That was the yeah. only thing I was ever going to do because that was the only thing I, I really loved to do. Mm. Um, and whether it was at home, I was throwing a ball against the wall or kicking a ball against the wall. I always had a ball in my hand or at my feet. 
uh, and it was something I knew. And luckily, everything aligned. I worked incredibly hard for it. I was given the opportunities. I had the facilities. I had great schools that I went to, and I was very privileged to be in the position I went. I, I was in um, for a number of reasons. But it's about making the most of. Um, every opportunity and that's what I keep banging on about even in my role now lads if you get the opportunity take it um, from a selector's point of view Um, and yeah and it's it's about just making the most of it and don't do things for the sake of it if you're going to do it do it properly yeah that's everything in life if you're going to do it you might as well do it properly yeah, so you were talking about your training and your mentors growing up. I, I totally agree with having strong mentors and having that that touch point. And I actually think I, I I probably should have had some more when I was growing up. It wasn't until I actually made it into county cricket that I started to find them. Uh, I probably just naturally how it happened. And but that training that you're doing because you were renowned for your training. Like if there there wasn't too far when someone uttered the words of James Taylor that they would say like Jesus, he trains like intense one what sort of things were you doing what was your approach to training and um what do you think because you were physical as well like your physical fitness was a big part of your training so i'll get onto the physical i think in a bit but you mentioned about the mental toughness so what were the sort of things that you were doing that was going to allow you to build that mental toughness yeah i love my training my my motto was train hard play easy yeah. So do, it might be a cliche, but do everything you can off the field. So when you get on the field, you can relax and play. I never wanted to be in that position. I, it happened a couple of times in my career where I was be thinking, right, now I need to reverse sweep. Damn, I haven't practiced it enough, so I'm not going to have that in my armory today. And I, I never wanted to be in that position. I had everything covered. So when I'm in the game, I can just go out and play it because I believe your confidence comes through your training. And, and that's where mine does. And I believe that should be the case in most people. So get everything done off the field. So when you go on the field, you can just relax and play. And I always wanted to be uh, the one that has done more than everybody else. I've, I was out training when he wasn't. Um, I've done more miles than him. I'm, I'm fitter in the legs. So mentally I can be stronger when it gets to like 5.30 on a Friday night and it's 30 degrees or I'm in Dambullering, uh, Sri Lanka and I'm on 230 not out and I run a three the last over the day, like that kind of stuff. I mm. love that and I'd love to be renowned. Even though I was short, I'd love to be renowned for not people talking about how small I am, but how powerful and strong and fit I was. Um, and it's not just so you're powerful and fit, but it's so your mind can be in the right place when thinking under pressure. Yeah. Uh, the ball's coming down at you and you're making that right decision in that split second because you're not too tired. You can um, go and do what you need to do under pressure because you've done everything off the field. Um, whether that be your nutrition, whether that be... Uh, running or lifting your weights to allow you to make that right decision. Um, whether I got a hundred, uh, some years I would every single day after training, uh, after a match, I would go in the gym. So I've done it. I've done my work. I did what I needed to do. Um, and it, that was m- as much as for my game, it was for my head as well, knowing that I'd done it as well. Mm. Um 
and it was a ego vanity thing as well. Like it's always nice to have a, a good rig and a yeah. good body. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's feel good as as much as it is for your game and making you a better player. It's your mind so important and do what you can to put you in the best possible position to perform. And that's what I believe. Yeah. So um, one thing I didn't mention to you, and I just thought a part of me being out here. So the the team that I'm playing for, so I'm playing grade cricket out here, and um, obviously I'm I'm actually running, I'm coaching within that within that team and in that club. But I'm working with, and who is the head coach is Carl Hooper. So Carl is um, Carl said something this year which was so good uh, because again it's amateurs. These guys are amateurs. Some are trying to make it professionally. I've obviously played professionally. Come and giving my my experience and my knowledge to them. But one thing he said was so good was he, he was talking about training hard and why you would train hard. And he said you want to deposit that work so that when you come up against someone else and the heat is on you fight for it that little bit more because you, you, you've you put in that hard work and you won't concede to the fact when deep down you know that you haven't worked hard and you, ha- you haven't earned it. And I thought, do you know what? You're so right. Like I was the same. Like I would go and do everything right at the end of the, a day and I would go and do my fitness work. And sometimes people would say like, maybe you're overdoing it. And I maybe look back and go, maybe there were moments I overdid it. But then at the same time, I think, well, if I didn't go and take myself and do that work mentally, I probably would have been weaker. There would have been moments where I'd have taken my foot off the gas just when I would, like you said, when you need it most, right at that, there's, there's that battle between two people. And it's, you know, deep down inside what you haven't done. And also, you know what you have done. I think it was so so cool, and you're just saying the exact same thing there. Yeah, I was I was just about to say that. So like, my, I hate it. There's nothing worse than when people make excuses and like add a bit of tax onto a story or make excuses uh, because there's only one person that really knows, and that's you. Mm. And you can't lie to yourself. So you know what you've done when you walk out on that field. You know exactly what you've done, whether you could have done more or not. And that's why I wanted to uh, literally tick every box. So when I went on, there was only one person that knew, and that was me. I knew what I'd done or what I hadn't done. So I didn't want to not do that thing because I'd know about it. And then the little bit in your head would know that you haven't done that work. You know you've cut that corner. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I, I'm a big believer. So we talked a lot about the physical training, but the, the skill set and the technical training, I'm, I, I wasn't, the prettiest batsman but one thing that I was I knew my game as well as anybody knew their game I was I I, I didn't have a pretty technique but I had an efficient technique because mm-hmm. I knew my technique I I got it done and um, from my position as a selector yes you need a certain amount of technical efficiencies to get you um, as far in the game as you can go but um, and in international cricket you need to take a, a, a some boxes but I don't care how it's how many and I was mm. a classic case of that because I was never pretty um but I'd like to think I got the done job done um when I wasn't in form I found a way to score runs um but what I'm saying in my training I, I trained so hard physically but also in the nets um no stone unturned and cover every base and I was a big believer in muscle memory the more times you get in the position when you're under pressure when you're under stress the more likely you are to get in that position and probably one of the most proudest moments I've had on the cricket field was yeah scoring hundreds against Australia is nice but it was at the MCG first game of the World Cup um, England Australia 
100,000, 98,000 people in the stadium. I come in, I think we're four down against Australia. Mitchell Johnson comes back on because little James Taylor's walking in. England are four down. Let's get this game done. Two slips, gully, short leg. And I'm like, come on, lads, this is a one-day game. There shouldn't be that many people <laughs> around me. And and I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. I, yes, we get a little bit nervous, but I'm not usually that nervous. I'm like, I'm nervous. But I stood at the crease. I think it might have been George Bailey or Aaron Finch at short leg. And I'm like, thinking to myself, I'm really nervous, but going to be all right I've done this so many times I've worked that hard uh, on that many occasions my technique will get me out of trouble yeah Yeah, it's not pretty yeah I'm gonna when I get nervous and adrenaline's pumping I move too much but I know I'm going to move too much but I know I'm gonna my hands will get me out of trouble I know my technique is efficient enough whatever it looks like it's going to get me out of trouble and that was what I was most proud because it got me out of trouble I soaked it up uh, and I scored runs. I got 98 not out on that mm. occasion. Yes, uh, it's it's all about whether you win or lose. But from a selfish point of view and my mental psyche, I was so proud because I was so nervous in front of 98,000 people at the MCG. We were under the pump and I sucked it up and I, and I soaked up that pressure. And my technique got me through because of all those moments that I'd worked on in the previous 10 years, 15 years. You're talking about a lot of stuff there that's really around your self-awareness. So was that something that you worked on at a young age or is this kind of now a bit more of a self-reflection thing? Because uh, I know I, uh, I have now had self-reflection after my career and everything, but I also do think I was fairly, well, actually more towards the end of my career, I was getting more self-aware. But was that something that, that you were working on or had been to- told about? Uh, and this is why it fascinates me. The mental side of the game fascinates me so much, or in life it does. And through my experiences, I've learned so much. I, I haven't consciously worked on anything. I'm just a big believer in gaining as much uh, as you can through different experiences mm. and learning from those experiences. And I've learned a lot over the way just through, uh, just through putting myself in different different positions and I love being challenged I love proving people wrong and I love having as many experiences as I can and that's that's like when I was name me you know Lewis like name me how many people played uh, uh club cricket little old club cricket when you're playing test cricket one week I played test cricket the other week I played club cricket yeah. like just because I never knew I was playing against South Africa and then one side of the world and then the week after I played club cricket just because I never knew when I was going to learn something I never knew playing at little old Shrewsbury Cricket Club when I was going to develop a new shot because the pitches are like are tired and old and they're poor and they spin more I'm going to have to I might have to learn a new shot I might develop a new shot I might get confidence in this shot so I was always about getting as many experiences under my belt as I could because you never know what you can learn in those experiences yeah, that's a really good point that you mentioned. It was actually something I wanted to to mention, which was that Australia game we played in. So when you came and played for, for our team, Sussex, and you played that one-off game and you got 100 in that game, I remember sitting on the balcony and there were a few of the boys around and you had, were talking about how you'd just played for your club. You'd just gone and played for your club like the week before and you got 100. And your explanation was there was something you were working on you wanted to put it into practice you wanted to that was the only game really around you were just trying to get a game and you got 140 or something in that game or you got a big score 
and your answer was like runs are runs and I feel confident about it. And then you get 100 in that game against Australia who were targeting you because they knew why you were there. They also knew you weren't you weren't a part of our squad. You were there because you were being put in a place to play against them. So they targeted you. You fought your corner. You got that 100. And then no, none of our players did. You were the only one who did. So at the end of the game, I remember the captain saying, there's a reason why he got 100 that that because some of our players at the same time were kind of laughing and joking about saying like, well, why would you go and play club cricket? Because you can get in that mindset as a professional. Why would I go back down and be down at club cricket and wait and not have a day off and, and rest and recover and do that? But your answer was no, there's some, there's an opportunity there to go and learn. And, and I think that was something that really opened my eyes. And because I was always a big advocate, if there was an opportunity for me to go and play for my club and to, to go and, either whether it was to help them out because they're my mates as well and my brother's there. And also, if there was an opportunity for me to learn something about myself, whether it was like take an occasion on, try and bowl a, a, a new ball that I was working on, is like it's the best practice that you can get to. So yeah. it, that's such a good mindset to have. And the more my also, like I, I have these certain sayings, like, for example, I, I relish the challenge. I relish pressure what people say is pressure like i for me i say you've heard it before get comfortable being uncomfortable mm. and that's what i'm talking about do as many experiences challenge yourself as much as you possible you've played a lot like you've played a lot of uh, first class cricket and stuff and how often do people just go through the motions you just go through the motions because it is a long season i get yeah. that but it's so important to challenge yourself. It's mm. so important to put yourself under pressure. Um, and my, my thing is, I find pressure really fascinating. For me, it's just a word. It's how people perceive pressure to be. For me, it's an opportunity. I flip it on its head. And to flip it on its head, I go, how good am I going to look? Mm. Like Australia versus England, 98,000 people. Yes, I'm catching myself but this is going to look good when I do well. Yeah. This is going to look really good. Like, so in county cricket, I can remember growing up and there's guys in my team going, oh my God, Stuart Meek is playing. He bowls 90, 90 miles an hour. Chris Tremlett's playing for Surrey. Oh my God, he's tall. He bounces. He gets a lot of bounce. He's bowling really fast at the minute. And I'm yeah. like, how good is this going to look? Yeah. Like, yeah. So you just flip it. If there's an obstacle in your way, that obstacle is an opportunity. Yeah. That's, that's classic. Um, and that's the way I always thought this to flip it completely on its head is not shit. This could look really ugly. Yes. Don't get me wrong. I had my motivators that were in my head that got me going because a, a big drive. It's, it's funny after all I've said, a big driver of mine was fear of failure. So that drove me on big time, mm. but also the pressure situations I use as opportunities. So you flip it on its head and go, how good am I going to look? Um, when I come out on top here. I don't because think that... that it's, it's even more of an opportunity. I don't think that fear of failure ever goes. It's always there, no matter how nervous or how confident you are. That is always there. It's like a non-negotiable. It's just whether how much attention you give it. And then if you're just focused on that, then it's de it's completely debilitating. Um, exactly. Yeah. and I, I, I think it's a really good thing, though. I, I think having a fear of failure is something that drives you on. It certainly drives drove me on because I didn't want to fail I did I worked that bit harder to allow myself the best opportunity not to fail or mm. 
to not yeah not to fail um so it's it's funny and that's why your head is so important and what drivers you have what motivates you like my motivator was proving people wrong and some people say listen to the psychologist that might be they wouldn't recommend that but it worked for me mm. um big drivers fear of failure alistair cook had a massive fear of failure probably hence why he was um so mentally tough because he kept on battling through yeah um it's it's fascinating it really so intrigues me. did you did you train that that pressure because i i actually i really like the idea of the and and i'm thinking back to even my own career and and there were players that i've definitely played with like you said in that county season you can go through the motions, you can train, you can go get your underarm throws and and the ball, obviously, you know, like when you're out in the middle, the ball moves fast. Like there's no about it. Anyone who's listening to this that hasn't played cricket and if you've not seen a cricket match, like the ball is rock hard. It can move at 90 plus mile an hour. It is, you don't get much time to see it. So it does require a level of training in order to deal with that sort of thing. And it swings in the air and then it spins off the pitch. It does all sorts of stuff. So that level of training, and you do see it's it's crazy like to see professionals who will train at almost like a lesser level sometimes because they kind of, I guess it's the ego, protect they're protecting their ego a little bit. They don't want to damage it. They don't want to try and, they may be fearing failure in the nets. They may be fearing failure at training, but that's the perfect time to fail because there's no repercussion on it essentially. And I think, I know that I've tried to put myself in uncomfortable positions, like just doing the role of like a night watchman, for example. Again, if people don't know what that is, it's uh, a lower order batsman like myself goes in to protect the higher order batsman at the end of the day. But um, my my role, I, I took on that role, like whether purposefully or not, I took it on and I had that fight in me to say like, well, how good is this if I can get through this? Especially with like my condition and everything. And I'm like, how good is this that I can get through this? And then how good is that going to look? And it's almost like from your own selfish reasons, you help the team out. Mm. You massively help the team out. So I, uh, it's a balance between you're doing this to selfishly become better, but that selfishness will allow you to be a better team. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter what you're thinking, uh, for whatever reasons, just get that job done. Mm. That's as simple as it is. For whatever reasons it might be selfish reasons but ultimately you're doing good for the team and there's going to be good come out of it so whatever those drivers are um use them to motivate you it's yeah it is really interesting i i think preparation is so important to everything to allow you to be able to go out and perform and to free you up um and i i wasn't the best netter like if it came to right, we've got 10 lads here, whoever looks the best, you're going to play up. I wouldn't have played, but yeah. get me in a challenge, get me into a challenging position and I would have shown you why you want to pick me. Mm. And that's what it's about. And that's where the mental side of it, embedding yourself in that challenge and in that battle, that's where I came into my own. Was there any- I think that's a, that's that stems from right from when you were born. I, I would, This is the, something that's fascinating me at the minute. I want to understand how people get into how people are resilient how people have that mental toughness it intrigued me i believe it's a product of your environment growing up Hmm. um but if we knew i suppose um we'd be very rich men yeah that product (laughs) well is it is it it, for me it's a it is a 
culmination of your experiences, your outlook on it. And, and but again, I would go back to it. it's training. I think it's a skill. I really do think it's a skill. I think resilience is a skill. It's the it's the ability for you to get knocked down and then get back up again and go again and dust yourself off, but learn from it as well. But totally learn from that experience. Exactly. That's spot on. I, people always speak about talent and talent. When people say talent, they think about skill in terms of think about what skills that individual has talent with the bat. Oh my God, he's got an amazing hand speed. He's got such an array of shot. He's shots. He's so talented. When I think of Alistair Cook, people don't think talent. I think talent, like that mental toughness that he's mm. got to not play those shots. Alistair Cook can play every shot he wants to play. He's got every shot. He's got the reverse sweep. He's got the dab. He's got the ramp over the top he just knows in himself that he's not quite as good at those shots and it might not be the right time to play those shots so yeah. because he's so mentally tough i'm gonna go no i'm not gonna play those shots because i'm not gonna give you a chance to me that is a talent because that's being mentally tough resilient enough to go no to yourself he's got a big enough ego these international world's best players have an ego mm. to perform but he doles that down um to go no, not today. I don't need it. And he's done that for 15 years in international cricket. That is a talent. Yeah. The mental toughness and resilience is a talent that you've trained. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, was there anything you did in particular sort of in the, the nets that you felt was um, pressure training in a sense, like getting you, was there like a drill that you would do that would get you really fired up or something that, that you felt was right? I'm, that's pressure. I feel pressure now. Every, every time um, I went into the net, I hated getting out. I, like, I would try, like, why get out? Why, if you, like, nobody means to get out, but why get out if you don't have to get out? Like, um, I never wanted to toss it off in the nets. I never wanted to get out. Mm. I always treated it like I was in the middle. Well, not always, but 90% of the time when I trained, I trained, tried to train like I would in the middle or play like I would in the middle. Um, I, I always, like, when I was preparing to play against South Africa in Mornay Morkel, I would always get somebody to come off 16 yards with a dog sticker and the, we have these yellow kookaburra balls that are, if you get hit, it's going to really sting, but it's not going to break your bones. I'd yeah. get somebody to come in close and wing it as fast as they could at me. So I would, I would train over and above. So when I came to facing Mornay Morkel, I've done it. I've, I've, I've faced a lot faster than you, mate, and I can do that. Yeah. So I'm going to be fine against you. So you, yeah. you exaggerate your training. Um, like if you're working, like in golf, if you're working to, to, uh, on a swing change, you exaggerate a certain movement. So when you go out and do it, it's going to be more on plane, um, than it is at the minute. Um, like, yeah, you've got to test yourself, challenge yourself in whatever way, that is, it's not easy in training to replicate that, but it's put yourself in a competition against others is probably the closer. And put yourself in a competition where you can be embarrassed. That's yeah. the one. I'll okay. always remember when I was growing up, uh, Loughborough, England's National Academy, um, you're playing against individuals in the nets and everybody's watching you. This is an occasion where I can be embarrassed, but God, I'm going to look good here because... I know they look better than me, but I'm going to come out on top. Yeah. Like that, that's where I could come into my own because I would never look as pretty as them, but I will get the job done. That yeah. mindset is important. 
yeah, you might want to just um, readjust again, knock the, the sucker again. Yeah, I know. I think I think it's something on this iPad. Does it do this? Does it? Does yeah, it you move? just sh- well, you, it, it's just shimmied. I don't know what it is, but yeah, you I just you just can... because my I haven't touched my iPad. Sorry. Oh right, yeah, no, there you go. Um, it's only for the people uh, that'll when, be watching this. When we have um, when we have selection meetings, Ed Smith does the same as well. So it must be an iPad. It must be the ECB's fault because the iPads <laughs> change, they, they go like this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Isn't that? Um, sorry, sorry so, so if you're if you're training at that intensity, like that is that is hard. Was there ever ways in which you um, you managed to like I guess downregulate? So just ease yourself. Was there things that you did to to have that intense burst? Because there's a, there is an element where you're never going to be able to be that intense all the time. There will be something that will break. What were the things that you did to to calm it down? To maybe just not again i don't want to say go through the motions but they were like your touch base things that you would just do to stay in a comfortable position with what the training you were doing yeah don't get me wrong i when i was playing uh, my last year or so i understood things a lot better i had a far better balance to my training rather than being too much i got the balance better i understood when i needed times off um, because when I was when I was growing up, probably from eighteen to twenty four, I got ill quite a lot. I got a lot of colds because I would train at such a high intensity all the time. I didn't give myself self time to recover, and that's where you make your gains. Yeah, like in training, like your recovery is is the time where you, if you're weight training, you make your gains. Like you need to allow yourself self time and your body time to recover, and I probably didn't do that. So I didn't quite get the balance right. Uh, later on in my career, I did. Um, but don't get me wrong. I say I trained at such an intensity all the time. There are times where you have to do the basics and those simple drills where it's tennis ball drills, drop ball feeds. I was a big believer in my fun, basic fundamentals. So I, I did do them on top of my intense training. I think they're very important because the basics so often, even in first-class professional cricket, people look beyond the basics um and they are so important they're the fundamentals of your game and if you haven't got them you're not going to be able to bat for long periods of time look at the best players in the world in all three formats they've all got their basic fundamentals in place that allows them to express themselves lads you're not going to be able to express yourselves if you're out in your first 10 balls every time are you no no. so do what you need to do or you're not going to have those long spells with the ball because technically you're in really poor positions and you won't be kept on for long enough you know yeah these simple yeah yeah, things. yeah yeah i um i was just thinking as well you when i played against you you were right you were really you're really niggly to bowl at because you had to bowl a different length to you um because again you're shorter than most guys but the length changed and then your shots that you play were a bit unorthodox and your technique was just different you had a real your entry into county cricket you had a great start like you got a that like when you were at leicester you dominated thousand runs and and just excelling what how did you keep your consistency especially when people are starting to figure you out well i say figure you out but you weren't almost you're almost like a an enigma sometimes but you how how did you keep your consistency was it that blend of your training the simple stuff and also this intensity yeah, sorry, I was just going to touch on something you mentioned there about I was like the shot options I had against you and stuff like that. I was, and I mentioned it before about preparation, why preparation is so important to give you that advantage. Like 
so often I believe players walk into the, you know how it is in change rooms, you're waiting to bat and you're talking absolute rubbish. You're talking about stuff. And yeah, there are times when you do that because sometimes. you need to get your head. It's the game's that long and you're in that long a season uh, that you can't just be focused all the time. Yeah. But preparation is so important. I never wanted to walk out um, to the middle and get to the middle and something be a surprise. I would always envisage and picture uh, you bowling at me and how you were trying to get me out, number one, but also what options I had against you. Mm. If the ball was there, where am I going to hit it? Uh, what the field might be, what my options are. So every time I walk to the crease, whether it be a one-day game or a four-day game, I knew what my options are. And if I'm going to, Tamal Mills, if I'm going to be setting myself for the short ball and I'm going to take him down here on the short ball, I might concede on the front foot like what positions I might need yeah, to okay. get into. You're, you're already that far ahead of the game that you've given yourself the best chance. Like, yeah, I, you might not succeed every time, but you've given yourself the best chance. I'm not surprised when Tamal Mill comes in and tries to hit me on the toe first first ball or tries to knock me on the head. Like, you know, you're not, you're not surprised. You're trying to be that far ahead. Um, but in terms of going back to your, your question... It's funny, like, I was so disciplined when I first came into the game. My first season, I shouldn't have played at Leicester. I was still a schoolboy playing first-class cricket. Um, and it wasn't very pretty, to be fair. <laughs> uh, I think I averaged, like, 12. But I learned. I knew I had to evolve as a cricketer. And I knew what I did wrong and the technical deficiencies I had that I needed to get better. Um, but the next season, I learned and... It was my first season, you're right. I played a few a handful of games the first year that nobody paid any attention to because I did so poorly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I was still at school, so it was an excuse. Yeah. Uh, you're a schoolboy. Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. Um, so my first season, I was so disciplined. Like I was talking about cookie, I was so disciplined. I, I only played certain shots. I just stayed in my bubble. I was ruthless. I, um, I was selfish. I just got my runs. I did what I needed to do. I stayed in my bubble. I hit the ball straight if it was there to be hit. I ducked under the short ball. I cut it maybe when I was in. I flicked off my legs. Then as my game expanded, um, like when I, when I finished, my four-day cricket was probably not as good as it should have been because I had far too many. I had so many more options. And I right. wanted to show off. I was an international cricketer. I was like, I'm going to take you down. Yeah. And I'm going to show you I'm going to take you down. Yeah, yeah. So um, so because I expanded and had so many options, my white ball cricket was going through the roof. Mm. Um, both like strike rate and average was really good because I had so many more options. But my four-day cricket, I wasn't, I could, I was disciplined, but I could have been far more ruthless and more disciplined than I was when I finished. If I had that, where I was in my first couple of years when I finished a balance of that mindset and options, like I would have been that much better. Yeah. So when you, obviously you said you came through the pathway, you ended up moving from Leicester to Knotts. It was a big move and um, obviously had really good success at, at Knotts, but then you eventually start getting into the England team. What, um, and that England team wasn't an easy team to get into. Like that was a strong that especially that test side, like that that test side that you ended up playing in, that what was it like going into that environment? There's, um, I mean, there's even been sort of films on it, and what was that environment like? It's a there's some strong characters in there. There's some great players, like you said, and massively different personalities. Like I played against probably all of them, and 
and there are some hugely different personalities. Like you said, you've got Alistair Cook, you've got Maddie Pryor, you've got Ken Peterson, you've got everyone who's sort of really big names. And then you're jumping in. How was it for you? Like, what was your experience going in? Oh, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I, If you think, I think that was England's best ever team. Yeah. I, I think. Like, if you go through the lineup, Strauss, Cook, Trot, Peterson, Bell... James Taylor. Yeah. Um, take me out. <laughs> no, you're um, in there, man. Higher, I like Bresnan, Swanee. Um, Broad, Anderson. You know, Broad, Bob. Anderson. Like, England's best ever team. And we were number one on the side, uh, number one in the world at the time. And little old James Taylor walks in. Um, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, I got 35. I don't even, I, I don't even know what I got. Like 34 or something like that. Me and KP put on 150. Mm. KP played like one of the best ever knocks mm. and this was in the middle of turmoil like mm. we were on the pitch um KP didn't say a word like there's a lot of stuff going on um and it was just nobody really knew me as well like it, this is this is why like this is why selectors are so important because I believe the head coach because the head coach can't go and watch much county cricket they're mm. so busy international cricket is uh, they're so busy they don't have time to see the domestic stuff as much so Andy Flower I, I imagine he would say himself he didn't really know me he didn't know me as a player he didn't know me as a person Alistair Cook didn't really know me as a player or person yeah. um, I knew Cookie a little bit actually from various different experiences but Strauss captain wouldn't have known me um, so it was a tough entrance luckily I played at Knox with Stuart Broad I knew him his mum mm. taught me at school so I knew him a little bit with the same same pathway through Leicester, Knotts. Um, but I'll tell you who's brilliant, Pryor. Uh, Matt Pryor was so good to me. Mm. Um, took me under his wing. I think he liked me because I had the energy. I had buzzed around in the field mm. and he was really positive with me and great. And uh, Pryor, I still speak to him a bit now, top man, um, works incredibly hard, challenges people, says what he thinks, but is yeah. honest. And that's where you yeah. want to be. You know where you stand with him. And yeah. if you work hard, he will respect you. Yeah. Um, and he took me under his wing. He was excellent. Um, and it was a, it was an experience. Um, I can remember my first ball, uh, because you've always got the, un you're walking into the unknown international cricket. Whoa, this yeah. is mega. This is a totally different game. I walked in first ball from Callis, like typical Callis, like a little bit shorter of a length, a little bit wider, swung away. And I've gone standard hands out, um, chasing it. And, then the next ball goes, I missed it. Next ball goes, I might have left it or whatever. And I'm like, this is all right. This is the same old game. Okay. Like it's, and it's just, it's those, because when you walk into an environment that you don't know, you're like, oh, what's it going to be like? And then you're like, it's the same it's, old it's, game. Yeah. It's the same old game. It's just more intense. It's slower. The thing that got, the thing that took me a while to get used to it, people, I'm not, I don't hear people say this, but the game is that bit slower. I, I have heard this. Is, okay, good. The John Lewis. Is John Lewis up. says it. The intensity is ramped up massively because the skill level is that much better and there's so much more at stake. There's so many more external pressures and the ability that you're facing is that bit better and more consistent. So your skills are going to be challenged. But it's like, come on, lads, bowl me another ball. Why are we taking so long here? Amazing, it, yeah. took, it took when I've got my routines. It took me a while um, to bed into their timings 
and their rhythm and the flow of the game, everything takes that bit longer to yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, re- it's really interesting. John John Lewis was the the person who said that. He he said when he first played, he even won one day cricket. He said even at one day cricket, he was like. One day cricket, it was like, geez, this is, you got all the time in the world. Then he played test cricket, it's like, you got all the time in the world. And he said it was really hard to adjust to. Like, I think as a bowler, it might be a little bit different because you get that little bit more rest. But um, yeah. he said that, even, actually Cameron Bancroft said that there was, he felt that feeling of when he's jumped into the the test event, test scene, that it was, you you give it this, this whole sort of status. And then once you start to realise that it is, it is just the same game. And and I think Andrew Flintoff told John Lewis, because John Lewis was a coach of mine, obviously at Sussex, and mm. he said Andrew Flintoff I've told... I've been working with him recently. Yeah, he's a great guy. Like, he he would probably be one of the guys that definitely would have seen as a mentor in bowling. And um, he, he just always explained to guys young and older, like, it's the same game, different shirt. That's it. Just same game, different shirt. And it's such a good way of changing the outlook because... Um, no doubt. How are you dealing with with nerves? Like, was there something that because you are going to be nervous on that sort of stage, especially when you you're going into the unknown? Or did that, like you just said, once it changed, did the nerves dissipate and then that conf- inner confidence come through? Um, I, I I was very lucky that I was mentally like I don't know why and what, and I'm not blowing my own trouble. I was in a good place and mentally I was pretty tough. Just looking forward to my opportunity and excited uh, because I knew I deserved to play. I'd been averaging 50 odd for so long. Uh, I know it'd only been a few years, but I'd been averaging 50 for a few years mm. uh, and scored a lot of runs. I'd done scored a lot of runs in the Lions uh, against international teams. So I knew I could score hundreds against international teams. I'd done it. Um, but it's just a case of proving yourself at the next level and that unknown, you just don't know. Mm. Um I, in my career, I, I mean, I faced, I had six, te- I played seven test matches. I was just on the way through as I had to retire, but I played six against world number one side in the world. And, uh, which was obviously tough and a challenge. And then my seventh was on a absolute Bunsen burner in uh, Sharjah against Pakistan, which I love because I love playing spin. And that was my comeback. And it was, so that was like my debut again. But when, for that one, like I was ready. I thought I was ready for the first one. I was only 21. So I couldn't have been that ready, but I thought I was ready mm. and I was in a good place and I definitely should have played and I should have played more. But, um, when I came back, I like, I couldn't have been re- more ready. I yeah. was, I think I was 24, 25 and I was so ready. I'd scored that many hundreds for the lions. I'd scored hundreds against international teams. Um, I played all around the world. I'd done so much. I was so excited to walk into bat against Pakistan. Mm. Um, I'd scored a hundred in the warm-up games and stuff like that. Um, I was so excited uh, to walk into bat against Pakistan. Like, yeah, a little bit nervous, but I was like, this is perfect opportunity for me because the pitch is ragging. We're not great players of spin, but I'm backing myself to be a good player of spin. Mm. Um, and I, I got seventy odd or something like that. Um, when I shouldn't have like on that surface, you just, you shouldn't have. So it kind of was perfect for me, like just sweeping, being really dizzy and like just trying to dominate the spinners because you had to, else you were going to get out. Yeah. Um, and that, that was, that was great fun. Uh, it was a great team to be involved in. I was in the ODI side as well. So I'd scored runs in the ODI side, which makes it a lot easier. If you make your test debut after you've played international cricket already, things are a lot easier. Right. Okay. I think when you walk into a test team, 
for the first experience of international cricket, I think that bit it's a little bit tougher and a little bit more daunting. But when I came back, because I'd already played a little bit in ODI cricket, I was so ready. So what did you learn in that period of, because uh, obviously, when, like you said, that debut against South Africa, that was the best team in the world. They were an insane team, an insane bowling team as well. Like more cool, Philander would have been playing on uh, Stain. More cool, Philander was at his best, Stain. Jeez, like that's yeah, not... Callis. And you had England's bowling lineup as well. Like that's two of the best bowling lineups in the world going at each other. And then the batting must have been insanely hard. But what did yeah. you learn in that? What did you learn that period off that before you came back? What was the change that happened in you? Do you know what I learned? I learned that I can definitely do this. I walked in and I'm like, this, this is all right. These are mm. meant to be the best bowlers in the world, and I'm I'm fine here. I soaked it up. I I. I, I actually it's great because whenever the spin came on I'm like right now it's time to claw back my strike rate here <laughs> so Imran Tahir was on so I um I I played against him like I would any other spinner I tried to be really busy and taken down um but the seam I just soaked it up because the pressure the situation that's what I prided myself on adapting to the situation the situation dictated that I just need to sit in and play for KP so I did that and I knew because I faced so many balls I was like I can do this. I can do, I just need to score just to show everybody else that I can do this. But mm. I was like, I can do this. Um, and that was a thing. That was probably the most, most frustrating thing after that. I only played three innings and one of them, I got run out coming back for the fourth uh, when Jonathan <laughs> Trott uh, ran me out at Lords. And so I only had like two innings where I got myself out. And the third one, Jonathan Trott ran me out coming back for the fourth at uh, <laughs> Lords, which was a nightmare. And then I got left out because uh, they went to India and, yeah, um, which would have been perfect for me, but I got left out, and then I had a couple of years out the side, and I came back. But that's probably why it's so frustrating for me, is because I didn't get found out, mm. and I knew I could have done it, but it was little James Taylor. Maybe he's not strong enough or hits the ball hard enough to play international cricket, was which obviously was proved wrong. Yeah, um, but it, that was it was frustrating for me because I knew in myself that I could do it. Yeah, I was never found out, which made it a lot easier when I came back because I, I wasn't found out. Yeah, yeah, I I think um, I remember when you did come back in that side, and I was like, this guy's earned it for sure, and it definitely is your training there. Well, from what you've been saying, that one hundred percent would have put you in that place for sure. Um, I want to obviously move on to your career ending, like, and um, the very sad ending that was. You were diagnosed with a rare heart condition just for the people listening just explain like how it happened what the condition is and what it really means so um so the i'll start with the condition the condition is arvc is a simpler term it's arrhythmia right ventricular cardiomyopathy something like that um and yes it was the first game of the season 2016 season um i'd just come back from I'd just come back from South Africa. I was in that ODI tour and the test tour. We won the test series. Um, last game I played, I scored 100 uh, mm. against South Africa A for England in a warm-up game. Didn't play the series. Don't ask me why I didn't play the series. <laughs> um, so I was on a high. I, I had my longest break I've ever had off, I reckon. I probably had three weeks. And in my life, I'd never... In international and domestic cricket, I'd never had three weeks off, genuinely. Uh, and it was the longest period I had off. And then I went back in, first game of the season, warm up. I was throwing a few balls, as you do. I was a little bit anxious for whatever reason. Um, and 
then it, it literally something, uh, a switch flicked and my heart, my chest just started going mental. My heart was was going mental. And I can remember turning to Brendan Taylor at the time, Zimbabwe, an international player, and I go, my my ticket's fucked, mate. My, I was like, my ticket's fucked. Like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, my God, is this just real bad anxiety like everybody gets? And it was just in my chest going mental and... Um, I could just feel it and I was it was just incredibly uncomfortable I went inside I thought that's when I thought I was going to die at 10 30 was the only time in the whole yeah. process that I thought Jesus I'm going to pass out here and passing out like I needed to pass out to make it stop and I couldn't pass out I, w- I was trying to be sick in the loo I couldn't be sick I was put on oxygen cut a long story short when they gave me some sugary drinks I I, I thought I felt a little bit better um so they thought, oh, low blood sugar or uh, it's a virus. So that kind of, once they said that, that kind of takes them down a whole nother path. Even though mm. I'm like, my heart here is screwed, guys. Feel my chest. I could see my shirt um, pulsing with my heartbeat. Honestly, wow. my heart was coming out of my chest. Um, and I, that's when I thought I was going to die at 10.30, just before I got put on oxygen. Cut a long story short, I got driven uh, I got driven home because I was in no state um, to drive home. Um, got home. I was in that much of a bad state. I I got left at Trent Bridge, the stairs at Trent Bridge, because I hadn't got my house keys because everything. I just got out of there to go home and I left my car. I left all my kit there. Um, oh, wow. And I left my house keys. So I rung my mom on the way back and said, can you come and pick me up? Somehow she found me at the bottom of Trent Bridge stairs. I was just in the stairwell which you would have been in yeah. a million times at trent bridge yeah. before you go up to the um dining room at trent bridge and i was just curled up in a ball there because i was so cold and my heart was still so uncomfortable and i don't know how she found me because she's never been in there but she found me took me home i was on the sofa at home my heart was going that mental the whole sofa was vibrating no joke oh, my um, God. and i was waiting basically cut a long story short i was waiting for the doctor to come and see me who was seeing me at, at six o'clock and by now it's about four o'clock a lot of time had passed um because it was a long journey from cambridge to yeah. nottingham where i should have died i should have really died in that car um but Fuck. for some reason i didn't for whatever reason and i got home doctor was waiting for, well i was waiting for the doctor i I got up off the sofa. I crawled up the stairs because I couldn't physically walk at this point. Um, and then I got upstairs and I was sick everywhere. I was really badly sick because this is obviously a sign of my mm. organs shutting down and looking after my vital organs. Um, my body shutting down, looking after yeah. my vital organs. I got into bed just to be comfortable in the fetus position as you do when you're hungover, really <laughs> badly hungover and trying to get in a comfortable position. Uh, I rang the doctor and by now, my shoulders, all my left arm was really hurting. And I was trying to massage my shoulder. And I was thinking, I haven't been to the gym for a couple of days. Why is it so sore? And obviously, that's a sign of a heart attack. Yeah. Rang the doctor and explained all these symptoms, like being sick and really cold and shivering. Um, my left arm's hurting. He was like, go straight to hospital. Don't wait for me. Don't wait for an ambulance. Get your mum to take you straight to hospital. Uh, and my missus was with me at this time as well. Um, and I went straight to hospital, walked in, and I was all grey, apparently. I can't remember my message. I was all grey, walked straight into, well, kind of hobbled into hospital, went straight to the loo because I was sick again. Oh, I got rushed straight into where all the action happens, and I was hooked up to the machines. And like you see in Casualty, you see in these films um, where all the action happens. And 
they plumbed me in and the doctor's face, like I've never seen anything like it before. They just couldn't believe my heart rate was going at 265 beats per minute. 265? 265 beats per minute. And obviously I'd been like that since 1030. And now it's about five, oh. 530. And bearing in mind with my condition, if, if you have an attack, you die. If, if it presents, you die. Yeah. Generally, 80% of people, I found out later, this condition is found in, in post-mortems. 80% of cases that have this and oh it presents uh, is found in post-mortem. Uh, so I was incredibly lucky. Uh, the doctor said, um, cut a long story short, well, the anaesthetist was going to come in to put me to sleep because the only way to get me out of this rhythm was um, to shock me or the drugs were going to work and the drugs weren't working on me being me. I was adamant that the drugs are going to work. He's not going to have to put me to sleep and shock me um, back in like you see in the films. Mm. And the anesthetist was just about to come. And then suddenly my heart rate goes from 265 beats per minute. Imagine the noise in the, the theater with all the machines going at 265 beats per minute. And then it suddenly just clicks and goes straight back down to 60 beats per minute. And as soon as that happened, I was sick everywhere again. Oh my God. Um, and then, um, and then the doctor said, we think you've had a heart attack. Cut, again, cut a long story short, loads of it happened. I, it was more a cardiac arrest than um, a heart attack yeah. uh, because I, of my condition. And it took three, three and a half weeks in hospital to find out this condition. Um, and I couldn't physically walk for the first week because of what my body had been through. It was like the equivalent of doing five to six marathons on the bounce. Wow. what my body had gone through so luckily the thing that saved me i believe is because my heart was in such structurally it was in a good shape because i was so mm. fit yeah but obviously there's a lot of damage and a lot of bad stuff going on um so that put me in really good shape um to be able to survive an attack that i should never have survived um a couple of months later i had um i had an operation when i was in hospital but then i had another major heart operation which attached a defibrillator in my chest which so if something goes, it's like a safety net. If something goes wrong, it like reboots me back and it restarts my heart. That's the only way I can describe it. It like yep. electrocutes you to reset mm -hmm. your heart. And that's happened twice since, uh, which is pretty scary. That's happened, that's happened already. Twice, yeah. Holy, so, so it geez. happened three weeks after. It happened three weeks after. Um, yeah, three weeks after it got put in. So how it didn't burst out my chest, I don't know. It kind of like, it shoots me like about a meter or two back. Um, and I was actually on stage at the time. This is the worst thing. I was on stage doing a Q&A at the time. I was stressed. I'd been really busy in the day before. Uh, no, that day I was really stressed. And then I like jogged across the ground, but not jog, but shuffled quickly across the ground. So when I got on stage, my heart rate was up. I know this because of the information in the defib tells you when you go into hospital my heart was about 135 when i was on stage because i'd rushed across anxieties and stuff and it never stopped and it never stopped till it went up to 300 beats per minute and then that's what? when my yeah that's when my because it, i know this information because it's in the defib and then that's when the defib kicked in and restarted my heart and can you feel that? Yeah. Can you can you feel that like oh, as no. like it's you must have heard, felt that not slowing down at all and it just going not, crazy right, because you knew like because I was talking I was actually making a joke I was I was just <laughs> making a, a joke about my heart believe it or not and I was uh, and I was in you know when you're in it you're like yeah, you're talking yeah. you, you know you've got you know 
you're anxious, but you're talking, so you can't really feel it. Um, and I didn't know much about it, but the guy that Matty Boyce, you know, you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. him playing yeah. against him, he was actually talking with me, and apparently you could see. And below my eye, my eye here was pulsing really badly. So obviously my body was like, kind of, um, like let this stop. And then it it shot and it kicked me back. Uh, sometimes it knocks you like some people are like unconscious for a little bit, or but this wasn't. I was completely conscious. Um, and I had the mic in, so the noise of the the like almost explosion in the mic, you could it was really loud. Wow! And it's like I, the only one, the way I describe it, people describe it as like being kicked in the chest or punched. The way I describe it is like being hit by Anthony Joshua in the chest and then putting your hands in the main electrics at the same time. Wow! Um, because okay. it electrocutes you, obviously. Um, and yeah, I when it happened, I was like oh my god one what's just happened and then i realized and then i was just like that it's just the most phenomenal thing like scary as anything but yeah. it's just like mad how this can happen inside your body and uh, and then i i talked and i said look if you want to know what a detail going off looks like you've just seen it and i just walked straight off stage and Done. i went to the doctors i had to oh. just relax like I was meant to be commentating after and obviously I couldn't do that. And then I went straight to hospital for them to reset the device in my heart. So once it goes off, it has to be reset. And is there, is yeah. there any, is there anything that they say brings that on or is that just a part of the condition? Stress, stress. So you stress, have... but anything, anything that's going to raise your heart rate is just like, eh, eh, can't do that. Wow. So yeah. oh, blind, like that is, that's in 300 yeah. beats per minute. That's insane. Yeah. What, um, yeah. obviously there's, there's that moment when the, the doctors tell you that you're not going to be able to play anymore. Um, how did they, how did they broach that? And how did, how did it go for you? What, what was your reaction? It obviously, be, It can be a brutal time. So uh, these are the things that I missed out on the story. When I got rushed into hospital, I knew that the Sri Lanka series was only two, three weeks away. Mm. England versus Sri Lanka and I was in the test team at the time and uh, I was like just get me ready I walked into hospital and I said just make sure I'm right for three weeks time I'm playing Sri Lanka in three weeks time and the doctor there a uh, really nice Indian guy um, loved his cricket and he knew who I was mm. and he so he knew what I was talking about and he was like, I was like, just get me ready for Sri Lanka, get me ready for Sri Lanka. And obviously he's thinking, not a chance in hell are you going to be playing any cricket? Um, and I'm like, just get me. So it shows where my head was. My body was absolutely screwed, like shutting down, broken. Uh, but my head was like, just get me ready for Sri Lanka. I just need to be ready for Sri Lanka. Um, and then, then obviously, uh, fast forward a, a week or so the doctors are brutal and like some you're lucky if you get some really like the doctors are amazing they're phenomenal but certain doctors tell you stuff one way and certain doctors tell you another yeah. some are br blunt and brutal it is what it is but at the end of the day this is your life and yeah. my life as i knew it all i'd done since i was born was play sport have a ball at my feet or in my hands uh throwing kicking and this was my life as well it was my job mm. Um, and I was just at the start of my journey, smashing international cricket. And, and then they like, was like, you can't play any sport again. You can't exercise again. You can't drink again. You can't do this. You can't do that. Your life that you know it is over, mate. And I'm like, you just go, boof. you like break down. Um, 
and Jeez. it was yeah it was incredibly tough um it was like an ego blow massive ego dent you're used to being the best at what you do now you can't mm. do that uh, what can i do i can't do anything i can't drink um i can't exercise all i've known in my life is exercise i can't do that uh, so what can i do and he was like oh you can play golf and i was like golf this is an old man's sport i'm not playing golf um and now so again fast forward now the golf has been the thing that saved my life really yeah. like it sounds really bizarre that i'm putting so much on golf and it's an old man's sport but it's been brilliant it's mm. given me an opportunity to challenge myself learn a new sport um, be competitive again because it's the one thing of my condition i can't be competitive because obviously that raises your heart rate and your adrenaline level no way. and stuff like that so golf has been brilliant um for that but it was brutal finding a way and for the first time in life you know professional sportsman you're invincible i was invincible mm. i was 26 i was at the peak of my powers as fit as anything playing international cricket traveling the world and then that all goes no mate you're not doing that again let alone that's your job and you're being paid pretty healthy yeah. so you're like what am i gonna do huge ego dent uh you know you you learn that you're not invincible for the first time couldn't let alone all the physical issues that were going on i couldn't physically walk i um every time i walked up a set of stairs i thought i was going to have another heart attack um these wow. major heart surgeries um, i couldn't move my arm above here for the first um three months after having the surgery because the wires that are screwed into the bottom of my heart will come out my heart if i if i lift my arm up oh my god um like things that people don't know yeah uh, i can't sleep on my left side because of my heart beat on the on the bed is like because it's irregular i feel it all the time and i'm so conscious of it uh, i can't drink alcohol every time i cross the road i think twice about it because it might spike my heart rate you know all these insecurities that people don't think about yeah um I have thousands and thousands of ectopic beats a day, which is like somebody flicking you in the chest. Wow. Um, yeah, it's mental. <laughs> what, what um, from a mental side, like how are you, you said about the identity and I get that because pretty much not shortly after you retired, I ended up having my career ending mm. injury and I, nothing like you, I'm, I'm very fortunate I can still play at a amateur level because of the intensity it's at and I can still play because there's not as much um, schedule. But I think for when I heard you were retiring, I was so gutted for you because I'd met you in that that game and, and you were such a good guy and, and the, the, I'd known how hard you worked and to then hear that you couldn't exercise because I know how much you liked your exercise. That was the thing. How did you deal with, and I still, I actually don't, you know I honestly, will st I still struggle with it. Recently, even in the last coming months, you lose that identity, but you also don't lose the identity of being a cricketer. You kind of always still feel it. You always feel a part of that that group, whether you've played one first-class match or 100 test matches, you kind of have been a part of that. And that's an identity that you never lose. I struggle right now with the feeling of, shit, I could just jump over the fence and feel like I could just go out there and play. And this is how I would do it. And this is... I feel I'm still good enough and I'm, it's what I want to do. And I don't think I'm ever going to lose that. I honestly don't think I am at the moment. And I think for me, it's been about managing it. I don't know what it's been like for you. That's, uh, that's the difference between me and you. I think it makes it a lot easier in a way. It sounds me mad saying this. It makes it a lot easier that no, I know I can't. 
yeah if i went and played i would have a heart attack before yeah. i got to the crease let yeah. alone yeah. um because just everything about it is like is going to raise your heart rate whether you get nervous or you exercise like when you're running between the wickets that's going to raise my heart rate man. yeah, and yeah, I yeah. i've had it i've had a net um, a guy called Sam Wood, off spinner for knots, played for yeah. knots, left-handed yep. batter, lovely guy, one of my close mates. He so I do some coaching with him and I help him. And he wanted to bowl at me, so I I batted against him. So I can still bat against spin in the nets if I want, and that's fine. Um, but knowing that I can't go out and perform makes it a lot easier. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's. I mean, the hardest thing is a massive ego dent when you're used to being the best at something. And now you're not, and your identity, like you say, I like, oh, there's James Taylor, international cricketer. No, not anymore, mate. Like, mm. that's the thing. Like, it, so it's a real ego dent. Um, uh, so it takes a lot of time to get over that. And, but I always, I'm lucky the way my head works, it's always what can I do and not what I can't. Yeah. And that's the way, if, it, if there's an obstacle in the way, it's a challenge and it's an opportunity. Like these are cliches, but this is the way I think. Luckily, mm. um, and I've, I'm very lucky um, that I've never dwelt on it. Like yeah. it would be very easy to wallow in self pity, um, not in an arrogant way. Oh, I haven't done that. I just the the way I thought. I'm always thinking, what can I do now, or what's the next challenge? Like yeah. I'm looking for what can I look forward to, um, and that's the way my head works. I've always been really positive. Um, through my upbringing for whatever reason and that it's just looking forward not looking back not dwelling on things it's always having that mindset of what can I do not what I can't yeah have you felt you've replaced that purpose that in your in your life um probably not I mean my life now is a lot more low-key than it was yeah, yeah. um but that's why golf is so important so big for me now because it's the one thing I can do and I can I love learning I love yeah. learning a physical like physically I love learning like a technical sport um like I always loved batting hence why I, I never knew when I could learn something now golf um I love learning if I could I would have a golf coach walking around the course with me all day every day because cricket I generally knew it yeah I didn't know everything but I knew a lot because I've mm. done it for so long at a certain level but golf it's something completely new. I'm learning all the time and it's great. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting better and better. I'm challenging myself every time I go out on the course, whether I'm playing on my own or against somebody, I'm trying to beat my previous score, getting lower than my handicap, yeah. trying to get to scratch. It's exciting. It's, it's really good, man. It's just you for you, isn't it? Golf. Like, yeah, I, exactly. I, it's making me want to get back into it and get, get my clubs out yeah. and even get sent over here. Yeah. <laughs> is there, I know you, um, is, is you've mentioned not leaving any stone unturned and I'm a big believer in that as well. That's why when I look back at my career, I'm happy and I'm content with the fact that I did absolutely everything that I I um I try I wanted to do in the sense that if there was if there was a psychologist, right, I would go and speak to them. It may not work, but I would go and try it just for the sake that if there was something I could learn, then I could learn it. Like you said, learn. If there was a new training technique that I could try, let's try that. I actually was, in, on reflection, I was a little bit stubborn at the start of my career because I was actually guarding what had got me there. So I would guard what got me there and then didn't allow the expansion of, okay, I don't know everything. I, I, I really don't know everything because once you hit county cricket, then your career really starts. 
and then I didn't know everything yeah. and uh and I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave any stone unturned so did you have the do you feel that's held you do you are you in a similar place now looking back at, at what you did yeah I I'm really pleased that when I finished I didn't have any regrets like it's easy it's easy me saying oh I didn't have any regrets I never did anything wrong yeah of course there's plenty of things that I wish I did better I wish I'd score more runs I wish I didn't drop that catch or miss yeah, that run yeah. out but there's in a general life in in general I'm so glad I don't I, I did everything I gave myself the best chance because of the way I trained the way I prepared uh, the things that I achieved um I played international cricket. I scored 100 for England. I played a lot against the best teams in the world, whether it be in ODI cricket or test cricket. I toured the world. I finished at the peak. I just, my last game I played, I scored 100 in an England shirt. Mm. Um, like not many people can say they did that. And I was very lucky that I finished at the, at the top, really, even though it was the start of my journey in international cricket. And people say, oh, that is so frustrating. Yeah, it is. I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve, but I played plenty of times for England I played in the World Cup um, I did plenty of things in my career that I wanted to do um, and I was in such a good headspace when I finished which is really bizarre like mm. which really helped me because I knew what I needed to do in international cricket to get better once I I'd reflected on that tour in South Africa and I was like right I'm going to smash it now I knew exactly what I needed to do um, which I think helped me most people would say that would be really frustrating but it really helped me that I was content and where I was at and it allowed me to go on and deal with the challenges that I had in front of me. Mm. What is there? Um, like looking back, is there is there something that you kind of would look at yourself that you you think from your condition, from when you you finished, that you've learned the most about yourself? Um, I can deal with a challenge. Yeah. That's for sure. Like I think this. Well, this is certainly the most proud i've ever been i mean it's been a mad ride over the last mm. like the first two years were mental like what i was experiencing like in hospital everything that went wrong could have gone wrong like from the biopsies that they couldn't do because the area of the heart that was so bad was on such a thin wall of my heart that they couldn't do the biopsy because they would pierce my heart wall if it went wrong things like this like they, the more investigating they did, the more it was bad. Like the more investigating they did, the more uh, blood clots they found in my heart. These are things that people don't know. Like I had a few blood clots in my heart. Like, like everything, every corner that I turned was like slammed in my face. Like the door was slammed hard in my face. Um, dealing with the operations, the feelings that I was feeling, not being able to walk up the stair, up the stairs, the lack of confidence, um, the trying to find a new job, the the things that I wrote in my book with the, the like my scans in the past all showed up that I had heart irregularities, but nothing was done about it. Like going through all of that was so tough, but to come through it and being like, ah, it's a great ride. It's a great experience and mm. it's a challenge, but fuck, it's been mad. Like, but fine. I'm mentally, that was the biggest thing mentally. I've done really well. Yeah. I, I saw a psychologist once because I wanted to understand these coping mechanisms. When my heart goes mental, please try and help me with um, trying to cope with it. But I had a one session. I should have done more, but I was happy with where I was at. I didn't learn, in, not in an arrogant way, but I didn't learn too much from that session. So I was yeah. like, 
I'm I've learned a lot now and I think I can deal with things myself so I'll crack on and um, deal with it myself uh, and that's probably the proudest thing I've I've achieved is mentally being in a really good place over the last four years and dealing with everything that I've gone through um, and leading a good life and being able to be happy and lead a good life. I, I mean, I have a great life. I'm so happy and I shouldn't be given yeah, that yeah. The, the only thing I knew was taken away from me um, yeah. and more. You have such so a good I'm, out. I'm really happy. You have such a good outlook on it, and um, just the last few things, really, like that you mentioned that you reckon being physically fit was a big part of helping you out before in the job that you do because it, because of batting because it's so high skilled. Like, there's no doubt about it. You have to be skilled in what you do. How much there's so many players that I see, whether they're kids now that I'm working with, um, and even pros that I know, they will slack off the physical because they know that the skill is the thing they're getting judged on. But do you, what do you kind of feel around that? Do you just feel that it's such an important part of the game to, again, to, to develop that skill, to make it better? Um, do, do you know where I'm coming from? You see it all yeah, the time. Yeah, totally. But I believe the physical is going to help you in a number of ways. It's going to get you mentally tougher. That's how I got tougher. I did everything I could yeah. off the field. Like I said, so when I went on, it was easier. Um, also, I never, you can only perform those skills for so long if mm. you're unfit. Your skills and your decision making is going to be seriously impaired if you're not fit enough to be able to deliver them. When, when it comes to the crunch, we would talk about runs, yeah, we talk about 50s. But hundreds, the only way you're going to get noticed is by scoring hundreds. Mm. Um, and you're not going to be scoring many hundreds uh, in tough conditions if you're unfit because your decision-making is going to be seriously impaired. Your skill level is going to go um, drop significantly. So these are why you need to focus on your fitness and your, your training um, for a number of reasons, for your psyche, for your head, um, and for your decision-making. Um, as well as to be able to run shuttle in whatever degrees he like in Australian conditions yeah. you're not going to be able to do that if you're not physically strong and fit and robust yeah is is I, th I really think it's transferable as well like the ability to just train and like be on go go out for a, a run go out and get to the gym do something that is getting you away from that comfort of wanting to to just sit on the sofa watch tv and go and do that work will you it will show up later on in your career it will show up later on when you're trying to yeah achieve that hundred or whatever skill whatever sport you're playing that big moment that you need um look mate i really appreciate it. the last thing i want to ask you is if there was something that, a bit of advice that you could give young people whether they want to play for england whether they want to just be the best club cricketer they can, what would be the the big biggest bit of advice you could give people out of everything that you've learned? Um, the blunt one first, um, it's not worth doing unless you're going to do it properly. Like mm -hmm. you might as well just throw everything into it because why not try and be better at what you're doing? Um, that's the first one. But equally, if the cliche, everybody says, oh, enjoy it. When I do Q&As, like parents are like, oh, what's the advice you give? And I'm like, enjoy it. And I don't mean, oh, enjoy it to have fun. Like, but enjoy it because if you don't and you want to be good at something, enjoy it because if you don't enjoy it, you won't work hard at it. And if you don't work hard at it, you won't be good at it. Mm. Um, and when you're good at something, that's when you can really enjoy it. 
like you can enjoy being at the top of your field you can enjoy being good with your mates um so it's worth like whether your aspirations to just be a, a good club cricketer whether it's to be a professional cricketer or international cricketer it doesn't matter but whatever field level you're playing at enjoy it for a number of reasons and that's not just enjoy it to enjoy it with your mates if you want to get good you won't get good if you don't enjoy it because you won't work hard enough at it and then you won't be good uh, yeah. the end product won't be good if you don't work hard at it yeah that train hard play easy as well just rings rings yeah. true as well so mate look i so appreciate your time this has been amazing like really good conversation some of that stuff is, is incredible and um I really encourage people to to reach out to you, find you on you're on Twitter and Instagram, James at James Taylor twenty. Uh, you've obviously got your book cut short. Uh, that's uh, I think definitely people that are interested getting a bit more out of the story would be well worth reading. Um, but mate, I so appreciate appreciate your time. No worries, mate. Um, lovely to catch up, and I'm so envious of you being in Australia. Australia is <laughs> my favourite place in the world. Um, and I, Perth is my favourite place, um, but Adelaide's a beautiful spot. We obviously yeah. had the World Cup there and tri-series and stuff in Adelaide. So um, I'm very jealous of you, but great to catch up. And yeah. you take care, mate, and keep up the good work. Cheers. Thanks, bud. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Raising Your Game podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed that epic conversation with James. I was so good to catch up with him and listen to more about how he got into what he did and how he went about it and then obviously how he dealt with it at the end of his career. But a lot of this podcast was really around the training and if you're looking to improve your training, then my brand new app, Sport Yogi, is a great tool to add into your training regime. So whether you're in the gym, whether you're out on the field, this is all about looking after your performance and your well-being to create that longevity. So there's going to be classes and sessions on there around improving your flexibility, your strength, your mobility, also your balance. And then going into your mind, really building a stronger mind through allowing work on, say, confidence, holding your nerve under pressure, and just audio sessions that you can listen along to to really help build some practical tools that you can use when you need them. So if you want to be one of the first people to try out this app, then head over to sportyogi.com where you can register straight away and be one of the first to get this in your hand. I'm really looking forward to getting it out to you guys and I can't wait for you to try it. So again, head over to sportyogi.com and just register there. You can also head to sportyogi.com forward slash app and you will be able to sign up there as well. Also, don't forget to grab your free hamstring flexibility guide from sportyogi.com forward slash hamstring dash flexibility dash guide. I'll leave a link into the show notes so you can head over to that as a free flexibility guide for your hamstrings that if you're doing a lot of sport, a lot of exercise, then it's great for you to use as a recovery tool to prep in your warm up and just improve your hamstring flexibility that's going to reduce the amount of injuries and again performance as well so head over to that link which is in the show notes or if you want to remember sportyogi.com forward slash hamstring dash flexibility dash guide anyway thanks again for listening and i can't wait to see you again soon